A few Sundays ago, I, I asked this question. I said, I had sharing time here. If you had today only those things which you thank God for yesterday, how much would you have? Some of us would be pretty poor. But if we had all the problems literally piling up on us and going at us that are worrying our minds, we'd be buried. We are good at worrying, complaining. I'm including myself here, okay? So I want to ask this question this morning. Make a statement. Have an attitude of gratitude. That's my title for the sermon today. Have an attitude of gratitude. Is that true of me? Is that true of you? Is my heart in a place today, this morning, where I'm truly grateful, truly thankful for the things that exist in my life? And I'm not just talking about the good paychecks or the good experiences, the good relationships. I'm not talking about those things. They're great and thankful for those, but also the bad things. Also the difficult things. A lot of people have this idea, you see, if my life was, finish this sentence, and then I would be thankful. As soon as my life will be, and then I'll be thankful. If gratitude is conditional, we have a problem, a huge problem. I want to read a few Psalms this morning. Psalm 57 verse 9 is the first one. Psalm 57 verse 9 says, I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. I just picked this psalm. It was a, it's a, it's a simple one. But the psalms is loaded with passages like this. See, being thankful was not something he had to check off or add on his to-do list. It was part of his innermost being. That's what he was. That was his character. That was his identity. Thankful people just live thankful. They look for ways to find avenues of praise to God in difficult circumstances. Let's read another one. Psalm 119, verse 62, it says, I rise at midnight to thank you, meaning God, for your just regulations. What he's talking about is the Bible, the Torah, the law of God. What does he say? He says, I rise at 10 a.m. in the morning after I sleep in. It's not what he's saying. He's, I rise at 12 a.m. to spend time giving thanks to God. Now, I don't need to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe some of you did this last night. Wonder how many of you got up at midnight just because you're so full of thankfulness. I gotta thank God one more time for it's or oh, the day has just started. We're one minute and I'm gonna get up and thank God for his word. That's what the psalmist says he's doing. He doesn't say he does it every day. Can you imagine if we as ministerial would call a 12 a.m. minutes prayer meeting to thank God for the Bible? How many of us would can't you do it at 9 a.m.? It's too early. That's when I'm asleep. He's, I rise at midnight. See, here's the deal. Most people in North America, they can't get up out of bed at midnight, never mind for this purpose. Thank God for the Bible. We have the Bible. What are you talking about? 
We don't need to thank God for the Bible. It's, 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 it's a right. It's a freedom. No, it's not. A lot of people, I'll go one step further. A lot of people don't even like God's regulations. I, I, I couldn't tell you how many times people have come to me finding loopholes and trying to shave off and, and, and see if, you know, does God really want me to and should I, do I have to? If that's the kind of Christians we are, then we are very shallow Christians. We're created in God's image, one of the things for which is to be thankful. Thankful that we're in God's image. Thank, that's a part of our characteristic that should be who we are, thankful people. We need to be grateful in our mind and heart like we breathe air, like we drink water, like we eat food. It's part of who we are. We're created that way. And this is not based on how good or bad life is. It has zero to do with that. Nothing. It's not like big blessing, big thankfulness, small blessing, small thankfulness. It's not like that at all. Just the story this morning that Bill shared here. I've been you know, regurgitating that story in my mind and thinking about it. Hmm. Working long days, probably getting up early, working till closing hour, going home, eating supper, going to the restaurant to wash dishes till midnight, and then to be thankful. A lot of people in England, I work too many hours. My boss is making me work too many hours. Okay, I'm not saying that doesn't happen, okay? But that's not the point. The point is, can I be thankful in all things? It doesn't mean that we should be workaholics, but what we're forced to do, we do. What we have to do, we do. This gentleman just did what he had to do. It was gratitude. There's a story about a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you heard that story. She's, if, I'm, if I have my figures correct, I think she was born in 49. She's probably 70, 71 by now, give or take. She's in her 70s. And Nancy Liedemoss Volgenbuch, she wrote a book on choosing gratitude, and I picked up the Kindle copy this last week, and I just want to read that. that I just want to read the book and just... Uh, just marinate myself with what's in there. And, and Johnny Erickson Tata wrote the foreword to the book called Choosing Gratitude. And, um, and she writes about the importance of gratitude. Now, Johnny Erickson Tata had an accident when she was 17, just in the 70s, probably for about the last 50 years or so. She's been in a wheelchair. She's a quadriplegic. Here's what she writes. She says, So many people do things for me or to me as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Someone has to help me out of bed, pour the coffee, get me dressed, brush my hair, brush my teeth, blow my nose. I'm always quick to say thank you, and I mean it. What's more, she says, I say it a lot. I remember when Judy, my executive assistant, she writes, came into my office and asked if she could borrow $10. I was busy, so I absolutely minded, told her to take the bill out of my wallet, which she did. When I heard the purse snap shut, I automatically said in a cheery voice, thank you. Immediately, a friend standing nearby me said, what did you thank her for? She's the one who ought to thank you. She writes, I guess I'm just programmed to express gratitude to people. She write, continues writing, oh, if it were only that way with the Lord Jesus, meaning that we would not consider him to serve us versus us versus him. If only we were better programmed to be grateful not only to people, but to Jesus, lifting appreciative prayers countless times during the day. Sadly, lack of gratitude and often ingratitude lives in our hearts. That's scary. Lack of a thankful spirit carries 
consequences. She writes penalties. A quick read of Romans chapter 1 tells us that. And she writes, if a thankless spirit was the undoing of a generation eons ago, is it any different for us? In fact, you and I know God far better than those people to whom God only revealed himself through mere creation. We have even more to be thankful for. She continues on, and so she writes, I've been giving thanks for most of my paralyzed life. Not only giving thanks in everything, as one part of the Bible tells us, but always giving thanks to God, for the Father, to God the Father for everything, as another part commands. Most of us are able to thank God for his grace, comfort, and sustaining power in a trial, but we don't thank him for the problem, just finding him in it. But many de decades in a wheelchair have taught me to, seg to not segregate my Savior from the suffering he allows, as though a broken neck or, in your case, a broken ankle, a broken heart or a broken home merely happens, then God shows up, and after the fact he just wrestles something good out of it. No, the God of the Bible is bigger than that, much bigger. And so is the capacity of your soul. Maybe this wheelchair felt like a horrible tragedy in the beginning, but I give God thanks in my wheelchair. I am grateful for my quadriplegia. It's a bruising of a blessing. A gift wrapped in black. It's the shadowy companion that walks with me daily, pulling and pushing me. into the arms of my Savior, and that's where the joy is. She continues on how she chooses gratitude over resentment and bitterness and so on. That's the forward part to the book. Then, then um, Nancy Lee de Moss Wogan, which she writes about this whole topic, which is a very fascinating topic to read. But I just want to say it's not new, it's old. And yet it's not old, it's new. People are always free to choose their attitude. And we're called to choose an attitude of gratitude. I want to zero in on this morning. This is where I want to land on for the next little while in my sermon on this one man who really had it hard and had it difficult. There's one man who went through extremely hard times. and I love the story of Joseph that these young ladies put on. It's a beautiful story, but it's not the story I want to focus on. That's an awesome story. But there's many stories like that, so the story I want to focus on this morning is a little bit different. There's a man who went through very hard times, but he made a conscious decision that he was not going to be negative anymore. He wasn't the beginning, but not anymore. The guy's name is Habakkuk. He was a prophet who lived in extremely difficult times during, his, during the his time, and the world was not a good place to be, and, and if you read, look at the charts in biblical history, um, I have a chart here. The northern part, you can see that blue part there, that um, was the nation of Israel. The, the yellow part there, that was the, the kingdom of Judah. It had been all one kingdom under King Saul, King David, and King Rehoboam. It split, and then from there on, it was two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And in about uh, 700 B.C., give or take, the uh, northern kingdom, the blue part, was invaded by the Assyrians. It was taken captive. They were destroyed, just, uh, um, uh, just dragged off into slavery and so on, and they no longer ceased, uh, existed as a nation. They had been warned. Prophets had told them this would happen, but they didn't listen, so they persisted in their idolatry, and that's what happened. Then the southern part, the yellow part here in the, in the picture, that lasted for a few hundred more years, about 200, give or take, more years. But again, they too fell into idolatry. 
and it was during Habakkuk's time, toward the end of their, their time, that Habakkuk wrote, and things were simply not good. It was very, very bad, very difficult. And I won't read the book of Habakkuk this morning, but I would encourage you to, to go home and read it. It's, some, it's hidden somewhere in the latter part of the, the Old Testament. It's a very fascinating little book. But other history books in the Bible, they tell of a story of King Josiah who lived during that time. And he kind of started an, a reform. And kind of, uh, he was the, the, uh, the guy who was going to um, bring things back around again, turn things around and worship God again. And they did for a while at some level, but it was not perfect. And eventually Josiah died and things turned bad again. And it was just awful. It's a very short little book. The book of Habakkuk is only three chapters. And again, as I said before, I think you should go home and read it sometime. And the prophet is terribly discouraged at all the evil that's going on in his country. It's corrupt, it's evil, it's just bad. He cries out to God and wants to know from God, what are you going to do about this, God? Why are you letting this all go? And he's just almost blaming God for this. Like, God, why aren't you doing something? And can we perhaps relate? You know, like, God knows what's going on, how people are dealing with this and that, and how the economy is going, and how, how bad things are in so many countries, and the suffering that's going on, and so on. He's crying out to God for, for help, and... and he wants God to do something, and God says, yes, that's right, I'm going to do something. Okay, what are you going to do, God? Well, I'm going to send the Babylonians. They're going to take over. Well, that's not what we want. Why, God, would you send somebody worse than us to discipline us, Lord? I know it's bad here. We want you to fix this, but don't send them here because that's worse. They're worse than we are. He doesn't, he doesn't get it. doesn't make sense. He's not thankful or happy. But then in chapter 2, he... Um, he kind of changes his attitude a little bit and he preaches some more. And again, it wouldn't take, I don't want to take the time this morning to go through that. But then in chapter 3, things change for him. And then at the end of chapter 3, it's a beautiful, beautiful little passage. I just want to read it this morning. Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning verse 17. And these are his words after he's taken all into consideration, his process, this in his mind, and he, his soul comes to rest. And he says this, he says, even though... The fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Let's just let that sit for a bit. What had happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing, except in his heart. That's the only thing that had changed. Something changed in Habakkuk. And what needed to happen most, that had just happened. He had gotten an attitude of gratitude. The work that God wanted to happen, take place in Habakkuk's heart had happened. Let's put this into a bit more perspective. I have these, put this in a column here. The fig trees, the vines, the olives, the fields the flocks, the barns. This was an agricultural society. This was the backbone of their economy. This was what they had to have to survive. This meant every part of their economy was affected. Their whole livelihood had collapsed. Everything looked bleak and dismal. Let's put this in modern terms. I have the other slide here. It says, the factories have closed, the jobs are gone, the economy has died, the crops have failed, the banks have no money, and the government can't help. But he chose gratitude. 
I'll say it this way. To live with a heart of gratitude in a difficult situation is far better than to just have a heart of thankfulness and plenty. If that's the only thing we have, that's good. Being thankful and plenty is good. But to add thankfulness and need and want, that's where it's at. When we can't see, when we can't understand how it's going to happen. He says in verse 18, let's just read that again. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Where's the focus? Not on himself, not the fallen economy, not the collapsed system, not the evils going on around him. Oh, they're still real. That's still there. He says, I will rejoice and I'll be joyful. I will rejoice, I will be joyful. An attitude of gratitude. And we say, why? Well, let's read verse 19 as well. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. He's basically saying, there's nothing to fear as long as I'm with God. Whatever happens, happens. And if you read the book, Habakkuk, which I, again, suggest you do, you will find that it didn't start out that way. Things were not that good that way. But here's another thing. God did not fix the problem. They did go down in defeat. They did lose everything. It was true what he said. The economy had tanked and crumbled. It was all gone. Not only that, the foreign invaders came. Nebuchadnezzar came. He took everything. And the temple was destroyed. And for 70 years, they were prisoners of war. God didn't fix it. But that didn't change his attitude. The question I want to ask us is, how much pressure, how much difficulty, how much adversity can we suffer and then it breaks? Thankfulness is gone. Complaining is in. I have to only look at myself. Nancy Lee DeMoss writes in her book, I'll just read a little quote here and I'll wrap this up. She writes, Cultivating a thankful heart is a safeguard against becoming bitter, prickly, and sour. A grateful child of God cannot help but be a joyful, peaceful, radiant person. If you find discouragement, depression, fear, anxiety among your frequent companions, you may tend to attribute them to a difficult or painful circumstance that surround you. But I want to suggest that as challenging as your situation or your season of life may be, your frame of mind likely has less to do with your distressing circumstances than with your need to develop a thankful heart. How else can we explain those believers around the world spanning from ancient times to the present day who scrape by with less than most of us can even fathom and whose days are perpetually beset with trials and tragedy, but who nonetheless manifest irrepressible peace and joy? Saints like that put us to shame. Now put it this way, I think Satan has a lot of leverage with an unthankful heart. He really has power with an unthankful heart. So let, let's just close this off. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? Do you want one? Let me say it this way. There's nothing in this world that supersedes, overrides a relationship with Jesus. That's where it all begins. And if the attitude of gratitude is there, it will come out. Again, I want to go back to the gentleman that Bill talked about. 
He could have so easily taken the box and said, thank you, but no, he was thinking of somebody else. Okay, who else needs help? Sent it to somebody else, and the blessings flowed on. So for this morning, let's put our focus on God, on his word, repent of our ungratitude, of our unthankfulness, then whatever happens, happens. So let's have an attitude of gratitude and go and live that way. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us, for this time together as your servants, as your children, as your saints. And may you, Lord Jesus, cleanse our hearts, help us to be grateful, to be thankful for what we have, what we've been blessed with. And the difficult times that you allow us to go through, they're a blessing. They're an act of grace, even though we don't see it that way. Help us to be thankful in all things, for all things. In your name we pray. Amen.